Welcome to the November 2009 podcast. This is Dean Hess, editor of Respiratory Care. Sarah will now read the abstracts, after which I will return with some commentary. Comparison of semi-quantitative endotracheal aspirates to quantitative non-bronchoscopic bronchoalveolar lavage in diagnosing ventilator-associated pneumonia is by Fujitani et al. The microbiological results of patients with suspected ventilator-associated pneumonia, or VAP, who had both quantitative cultures with non-bronchoscopic bronchoalveolar lavage, or BAL, and semi-quantitative cultures of endotracheal aspirate obtained within 24 hours of each other were retrospectively reviewed and compared using a quantitative threshold of greater than or equal to 10 to the fourth power colony forming units per milliliter as a reference standard. 256 patients with paired cultures were identified. Concordance between endotracheal aspirate with any growth of pathogens and non-bronchoscopic BAL was complete in 58% and completely discordant in 24%. The sensitivity and specificity of endotracheal aspirates were 65% and 56%, which improved to 81% and 62% when antibiotic management decisions were considered in the analysis. 26 patients had endotracheal aspirate cultures that were falsely negative for pathogens, with 62% of these patients demonstrating growth of non-fermenting gram-negative rods or methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, or MRSA, on non-bronchoscopic BAL. Overall, 18% of the entire cohort had false positive endotracheal aspirate cultures, with 42% of these patients demonstrating growth of non-fermenting gram-negative rods, or MRSA. The authors concluded that semi-quantitative cultures of endotracheal aspirate are poorly concordant with quantitative cultures obtained via non-bronchoscopic BAL. Although the performance of endotracheal aspirate improves when antibiotic treatment is considered, guiding therapy on the basis of semi-quantitative cultures may still result in failure to identify potentially multiple drug-resistant pathogens and would also tend to promote excessive antibiotic usage. These data support the use of quantitative cultures in diagnosing VAP. Next, we have the paper by Patel et al. Variation in the Rapid Shallow Breathing Index Associated with Common Measurement Techniques and Conditions. The authors hypothesized that the value of the Rapid Shallow Breathing Index, or RSBI, may be significantly influenced by common variations in measurement conditions and technique. 60 patients eligible for weaning evaluation after more than 72 hours of mechanical ventilation were studied over 15 months in a medical intensive care unit. The RSBI was measured while the patients were on two levels of ventilator support. 5 centimeters of water continuous positive airway pressure, or CPAP, versus T-piece. RSBI was also calculated in two different ways, using the values of minute ventilation and respiratory rate provided by the digital output of the ventilator versus values obtained manually with a right spirometer. 
Finally, RSBI was measured at two different times of the day. RSBI was significantly less when measured on 5 cm water CPAP compared to T-piece. There were no significant differences in the value of RSBI obtained using ventilator-derived versus manual measures of the breathing pattern. RSBI was also not significantly different in the morning versus evening measurements. The authors concluded that RSBI can be significantly affected by the level of ventilator support, but is relatively unaffected by both the technique used to determine the breathing pattern and the time of day at which it is measured. Breathing and Adaptive Pressure Control Continuous Mandatory Ventilation is by Morellis Capodavila and Chatburn. The purpose of this study was to evaluate the relationship between ventilator work output and patient effort in adaptive pressure control. An ASL 5000 lung simulator was set at a compliance of 0.025 liters per centimeter of water and resistance of 10 centimeters of water per liter per second. Muscle pressure was a sine wave that increased from 0 to 25 centimeters of water in steps of 5 centimeters of water. The adaptive pressure control modes tested were auto flow on the Draeger Evita XL VC Plus on the Puritan Bennett 840, APV on the Hamilton Galileo, and PRVC on the Siemens Servo I and Siemens Servo 300. The target tidal volume was set at 320 milliliters to allow delivery of a realistic tidal volume as the simulated patient demanded more volume. All measurements were obtained from the simulator. Patient work of breathing increased from 0 joules per liter to 1.88 joules per liter through the step increase in muscle pressure. Target tidal volume was maintained as long as muscle pressure was below 10 centimeters of water. Tidal volume then increased linearly with increased muscle pressure. The ventilator showed three patterns of behavior in response to an increase in muscle pressure. 1. Ventilator work of breathing gradually decreased to 0 joules per liter as muscle pressure increased. 2. Ventilator work of breathing decreased at the same rate as muscle pressure increased, but plateaued at muscle pressure of 10 centimeters of water by delivering a minimum inspiratory pressure level of 6 centimeters of water. And 3. Ventilator work of breathing decreased as in patterns 1 and 2 to muscle pressure of 10 centimeters of water, but then decreased at a much slower rate. The authors concluded that adaptive pressure control algorithms differ between ventilators and their response to increasing patient effort. Notably, some ventilators allow the patient to assume all the work of breathing and some provide a minimum work of breathing regardless of patient effort. Addition of mechanical insufflation exufflation shortens airway clearance sessions in neuromuscular patients with chest infection is by Chatwin and Simmons. They hypothesized that airway clearance in patients with neuromuscular disease would be more effective with inexufflation compared to without inexufflation. Eight patients with a median age of 21.5 years were enrolled. 
all had sputum retention with an elevated C-reactive protein of 113 milligrams per liter and a white cell count of 14 times 10 to the 9th power cells per liter. Patients underwent a two-day randomized crossover treatment program with inexsufflation for one session and without inexsufflation for the second, with reverse crossover on the next day. Treatment time after 30 minutes, or earlier if sputum clearance was complete, was recorded. Outcome measures were heart rate, pulse oximetry, transcutaneous PCO2, and independently assessed auscultation score. Patients rated effectiveness on a visual analog scale. Treatment time after 30 minutes was significantly shorter with inexsufflation versus without inexsufflation. There was a significant improvement in auscultation score in both groups. Visual analog scale score for the amount of sputum cleared in both treatment groups showed a decline. There was no difference in mean heart rate, oxygen saturation, or transcutaneous PCO2 with either treatment. The authors concluded that the addition of mechanical inexsufflation shortened airway clearance sessions. The device appeared to be safe and well-tolerated and may provide additional benefit to patients with neuromuscular disease and upper respiratory tract infection. Next, we have the paper, Laboratory Evaluation of the Acapella Device, Pressure Characteristics Under Different Conditions, and a Software Tool to Optimize Its Practical Use, by Silva et al. The aim of this study was twofold, one, to characterize the mechanical behavior of the acapella, and two, to develop a software tool to ease the practical use of this device. An experimental setup was assembled in order to study mean pressure, oscillation frequency, and the oscillation amplitudes produced by three acapella devices in the whole range of instrument adjustments and under air flow rates ranging from 200 milliliters per second to 800 milliliters per second. The device characterization has shown oscillation frequency varying from 8 Hz to 21 Hz, mean pressure ranging from 3 cm of water to 23 cm of water, and oscillation amplitude from 4 cm of water to 9 cm of water. These parameters increased with flow and instrument adjustment. User-friendly software was developed, incorporating the current knowledge concerning secretion removal. After the introduction of the desired frequency and the patient airflow by the user, the software automatically calculates the necessary instrument adjustment, as well as mean pressure and oscillation amplitude. The authors concluded that the acapella may produce clinically adequate values of mean pressure and oscillation frequency. However, it depends on its use at optimized conditions. The user-friendly software proposed in this study could help the user to achieve these conditions. The influence of breathing pattern during nebulization on delivery of arfomotorol using a breath simulator is by Bauer et al. This in vitro study evaluated whether different tidal breathing patterns that encompass a range that could be observed in COPD patients influence the emitted amount of nebulized arfomotorol. 
Breath simulation experiments used a PARI LC Plus nebulizer in combination with the DuraNeb 3000 portable aerosol system. Four breathing patterns that could represent a range of tidal volumes and inspiratory and expiratory times observed in patients with COPD were studied. The amount of R-formoterol on the inspiratory and expiratory filters and the residual amount in the nebulizer bowl were determined via high-pressure liquid chromatography. The total amount of R-formoterol on the inspiratory filter increased with a longer inspiratory phase of tidal breathing, ranging from 8% to 13%, while the expiratory filter dose remained similar at 8% to 9%. The total emitted dose for all patterns was 16% to 21% of the nominal dose. Retained arfamotorol amounts in the nebulizer ranged from 56% to 62% of the nominal dose. The authors concluded that only about 20% of the nominal 15 microgram arfamotorol dose was emitted from the nebulizer apparatus with each of the four tidal breathing patterns studied, and that a longer inspiratory phase was associated with a greater inhaled dose. I'm back with some commentary on this month's papers. Although diagnosis of ventilator-associated pneumonia is controversial, current strategies for diagnosing VAP favor the use of quantitative methods. However, semi-quantitative cultures of endotracheal aspirates are still commonly used. It is against this background that the paper by Fujitani et al. is of interest. They report perfect agreement between endotracheal aspirates and non-bronchoscopic BAL in 58% of samples, and results were completely discordant in 24% of samples. The authors conclude that semi-quantitative cultures of endotracheal aspirates are poorly concordant with quantitative cultures obtained via non-bronchoscopic BAL. As Merrick reminds us in his editorial, the clinical criteria for diagnosis of VAP lacks specificity, which makes the case for analysis of BAL fluid for the diagnosis of VAP. There is a high concordance between the results of quantitative culture of BAL fluid performed via bronchoscopy with that performed blindly by mini-BAL. Performing mini-BAL should be part of the armamentarium of skills of the respiratory therapist. Originally described more than 15 years ago, the Rapid Shallow Breathing Index, or RISB, has been widely used to evaluate mechanically ventilated patients for weaning and extubation. This test is determined in a variety of ways. Patel et al. report no significant differences in the RISB obtained during ventilator-derived versus off-ventilator manual measures. However, the RISB was significantly less when measured on 5 centimeters of water of CPAP compared to T-piece. In his editorial, Siegel asks the important question, how should the RISB be used then, if at all? Whether the RISB contributes to any important information beyond the results of a spontaneous breathing trial remains to be determined. Adaptive pressure control is a mode of ventilation in which the ventilator adjusts inflation pressure to achieve a target tidal volume. This means that inflation pressure is reduced if patient effort increases, which may or may not be clinically appropriate. 
Morales Capitavilla and Chatburn used a lung simulator to evaluate the relationship between ventilator work output and patient effort in APC in five different ventilators. They found that the ventilators showed three patterns of behavior in response to an increase in simulated muscle pressure. In one pattern, the ventilator work gradually decreased to zero as muscle pressure increased. In a second pattern, ventilator work decreased at the same rate as muscle pressure increased, but reached a plateau by delivering a minimum inspiratory pressure. The third pattern appeared to be a combination of patterns one and two. Although some ventilators provide a minimum level of support during APC, regardless of patient effort, of concern is that others allow the patient to assume all of the work of breathing. In other words, they will take away all support during APC if patient effort results in a tidal volume that exceeds the target. As Jaber points out in his editorial, to date there have been no randomized controlled trials with large numbers of patients to evaluate the use of APC in the intensive care unit. Jaber is correct in his call for clinical studies to define the appropriate role of new ventilator modes. We look forward to publishing the results of such studies in respiratory care. Mechanical insufflation-exufflation, also called cough assist, increases peak cough flow and may improve sputum clearance. Despite a lack of high-level studies, MIE is well accepted in the care of patients with neuromuscular disease. Chatwin and Simones evaluated the short-term use of MIE as a supplement to standard non-invasive ventilation plus physiotherapy in eight patients with neuromuscular disease. They reported that the use of MIE shortened airway clearance sessions. They speculate that MIE may provide additional benefit for patients with neuromuscular disease and respiratory tract infection. They also correctly recommend that further studies are indicated to evaluate the role of MIE in the care of this patient population. The acapella is another device designed to aid sputum clearance. When the patient exhales through this device, oscillatory pressure levels with a mean pressure greater than 10 centimeters of water occur. Silva et al. evaluated user-friendly software to help the user to achieve optimal conditions for the use of this device. They found that the acapella may produce clinically adequate values of mean pressure and oscillation frequency, but it depends on its use at optimal conditions. As this was a bench study, Clinical studies are needed to evaluate the utility of this software tool to optimize the practical use of the acapella. Patients with obstructive lung diseases such as COPD commonly use nebulizers for inhaled drug delivery. There is no doubt that breathing patterns by patients during aerosol therapy delivery may vary, but it is unclear whether this affects the emitted quantity of nebulized drug. Bauer et al. used a breast simulator set to mimic four breathing patterns that represent a range of tidal volumes, inspiratory times, and expiratory times observed in patients with COPD. The results of these breast simulation experiments suggest that only about 20% of the nominal dose was emitted from the nebulizer with each of the four breathing patterns studied. Similar to previous studies, a longer inspiratory phase was associated with a greater inhaled dose. Studies such as this are important to characterize drug delivery under standardized conditions, but as with any in vitro study, the results require clinical validation.
This month's case report is by Hayes et al. and describes a case of varicose bronchiectasis with a bulbous appearance in a six-year-old child with a complicated course including bronchopulmonary dysplasia during the neonatal period. The teaching case of the month by Van Keda et al. describes the management of refractory hypoxemic respiratory failure due to adenocarcinoma of the lung with a predominant bronchoalveolar carcinoma component. The open forum at the 55th International Respiratory Care Congress of the American Association for Respiratory Care is an opportunity for attendees to review the results of scientific studies performed by their colleagues. Respiratory Care is pleased to publish these abstracts in the November issue. We also look forward to publishing papers arising from these abstracts in the future. To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www. .rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.